God and Emily. You notice there, there each week we are extinguishing candles, uh, sort of the opposite of, of Advent, moving toward all of these eventually being extinguished on uh, Good Friday, and then Easter morning we light them up and enjoy together the, uh, the good news of an uh, empty tomb. Let's go to the Lord in continued prayer. We're going to pray for a people group. Uh, the, there's a people group in Indonesia uh, that we're praying for, the Manang Kabao. Had to practice that a little bit. Manang Kabao people uh, are 7 million strong, 0.26% of which are Christians. Uh, we're praying specifically for the scriptures in their tongue, in their language. Uh, we're also going to be praying for a local church in our community, Mineral Heights Baptist Church. Uh, Mike and Sarah Pishney are the, uh, Mike is the pastor there. We're going to be praying for Mike and praying for our brothers and sisters at Mineral Heights. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for this time that we have together this morning. I'm thankful that uh, you have uh, led uh, family members to join for a special occasion of children dedication and others that may be joining us this morning in person or online. Lord, we, uh, we pray that all of us are nourished and fed and equipped in these few moments. Lord, I pray that in these few moments that we are sitting here this morning uh, in person or online as worshipers, Lord, somehow pry us away from being consumers. Lord, soften our hearts, quicken our hearts to worship in these few minutes. Lord, as part of our worship, we want to bring a people group to you that we are burdened for, praying through the hundred least reached people groups in the world and this people, the Manang Kabao people of Indonesia. Lord, we know that you know all seven million, that you have numbered their days, you know their worries, their fears, their dreams, their struggles. And Lord, we ask you to draw this people group to you. We ask you to send workers to the far corners of the field. We ask you to mobilize translators who will translate the word into the good living word into their language. And that workers combined with the spirit working through the word will draw people to your name and your kingdom. Lord, we also want to pray for another church in our community, Mineral Heights Baptist Church, for Mike and Sarah Pishney, Lord. We pray that you would bless them. I pray that you are blessing Mike even this morning as he is either... Uh, preparing to uh, preach and lead a corporate worship time or actually maybe already in the throes of that. We entrust Mike to you. We entrust his family to you. We entrust the church family of Mineral Heights Baptist Church to you. And we're thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning and pray that you would bless them, that you would equip them, that you would stir them to be salty, bright, and aromatic, that they would be so filled with joy as worshipers that it would spill over into Monday and into den, and into backyard, and into dinner time, and into all the spaces that are so often compartmentalized away from these few minutes, Lord. We pray that they would invade those spaces, that you would um, fill them, and stir them, and use them. Bless Mineral Heights Baptist Church, Lord. Lord, also we pray that you would bless us. Show us the beauty of of all that we have in Christ as the door of the sheep. We're entrusting these few minutes to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand, if you would, please, for the reading of God's word from John chapter 10. Verse 7 through 9. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Lord, speak to us from these potent words. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all have a seat. These are the third. This morning is the third of seven I Am statements. We are spending the Lent season working through the seven I Am statements in the book of John. The seven I Am statements come from, uh, they're they're really a a neat connection to a verse. It's early on in the book of John in verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 18, uh, that says, No one has ever seen God, the only God. This is the same God that when Moses uh, spoke with God from the burning bush and God spoke to him from the burning bush, he identified himself as the I Am. Because there's this pregnant name that has this big, in my mind, this big imaginary blank behind it. I am what? Well, Jesus answers that question. Jesus fills in that blank. The passage in John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one's ever seen God, the I am. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's speaking of Christ, has made him known. Jesus is filling in that blank over the over the book of John, especially where those I am statements, those seven I am statements are made. And this morning, we're on the third I am statement. I am the door of the sheep from chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. I'll give you a little bit of context. The verses that lead up to where we are this morning, uh, Jesus is identifying himself in the fourth I am statement as the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And he's speaking of himself as the good shepherd. And it develops almost over the entire chapter of John chapter 10. But there's this one little moment in there in verses 7 through 9 where he identifies himself as a door, as a gate for the sheep. In some ways, it's almost like he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. And as a matter of fact, I'm the door of the sheepfold. I'm the gate of the sheepfold. Okay, he develops sort of a miniature I am statement within this bigger one. So what we're going to do is, it's robust, trust me, but what we're going to try and do this morning, I think that we'll be able to do this, is uh, sort of surgically pull out the door that's embedded within the good shepherd I am statements. Okay, so we're going to sort of draw this thing out without doing damage to the shepherd himself. So we're going to really look at specifically verse 9 over the course of the morning. That's going to be our guide. It's like a sermon outline from one little verse. So look at, look at verse 9 with me again, and we'll probably have that up in front of you. Verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, here are three parts to our sermon this morning. He will be saved. He will go in and out and he will find pasture. That's our plan for the morning, is just to unpack those three parts. We're going to do them a little bit out of order, but just kind of bird's eye view of those three things. First of all, he will be saved. This morning, this sermon is about salvation. It is about eternal life and salvation, especially, uh, specifically, um, primarily about eternal life and salvation. Okay. Secondly, it's about protection. He will go in and out. And third, it's about abundant life. He will find pasture. Let me acquaint you a little bit with uh, the, the, the uh, structure of the sheepfold. 
the ancient shepherds had a practice. At night, uh, they uh, would actually guide their sheep into a structure that was a low stone wall usually. It uh, had brambles or thorns or vines above the stone oftentimes, keeping the sheep in the fold with one singular enclosure, or excuse me, one singular opening to the enclosure. And what the ancient sheep would do, or ancient shepherds would do, and it's probably the same thing current shepherds do, because I don't know that... that Uh, shepherding actually gets modern. I think it's probably just ancient period. But the modern and the ancient shepherd would sleep in that enclosure. He would park himself in that enclosure and thereby he would protect the sheep. If there were sheep that during the night wanted to get out and could be in great peril, they would have to climb over him and he would make sure that wouldn't happen. And if there was something that wanted to get in at night, some predator, some wolf, then they would have to climb over his body to get into the sheepfold. So in some ways, he served literally as a human gate, a human door. His body body literally became the access point and the protection for the flock. So in your heart this morning, and in your mind, in your mind's eye, Just envision our Lord as the gate and the door, as that one singular access point of protection and access into the sheepfold, laying and sitting right there in that door, that singular enclosure. Envision Jesus manning this spot. Okay, I really want you to do that. Envision Jesus manning this singular enclosure for his people. Verse 9 again, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, he will go in and out, and he will find pasture. We're going to follow those three things a little bit out of order. First, starting with going in and out. Through Jesus, here's the first point this morning, we find protection. Through Jesus, we find protection. My house in the summers, when our kids were young, uh, really, it, it should have had a revolving door on the front door and the back for that matter, but especially the front door. Our kids, when they were young, in our little neighborhood, came and went all day long. We had the Roddens right across the street. We still do, but they had kids our age. Uh, We had the Wades right down the street. So between the Wades and the Roddens, our front door was a revolving door, and our kids came and went under the guard and protection of me and Christy. Okay, their parents kept a close watch on their protection and their safety as they came and went out that front door that should have been a revolving door. Now, we had the the Roddens and the Wades helping out with that, also sort of serving their duty. But I bet some of you can imagine, if you live in a neighborhood, what life like that is like, that place of protection where your children can come and go under the protection of the parents. It wasn't always that way. We lived in Fort Worth when I was in seminary, and we lived on a little street called Ryan Avenue, it was a very different neighborhood than we live in now. We actually had uh, the police stop at our house one day. It was the gang-specific um, police that worked with the local gangs in Fort Worth, and they identified that we had um, gang graffiti written on our back fence, and they'd sort of marked their territory on the back fence of our house. So uh, they actually cleaned that up, but that kind of gives you a little window into what life was like in that neighborhood. It was not a safe place to let our children come and go. Our ability to protect and guard our children was um, overwhelmed by the threat in that community. I mean, I was a pretty capable guy, 
Okay, these hands are pretty like licensed in most states right here. <laughs> but the need in that community outweighed my ability and Christy's ability to protect our children. But you can visualize uh, this neighborhood I'm talking about in both neighborhoods, in both circumstances, and just consider this. There's no neighborhood where the door can't protect the sheep. There's no neighborhood so dangerous for us that the good door that we're speaking of this morning, that is Jesus, can't protect his sheep. In John chapter 10, he speaks to this matter right across the page. Look over in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. Again, we're speaking in the, my she- or the good shepherd context here. In verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. I told you, that's what this morning is about. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We are talking about specifically this morning salvation protection. Salvation and eternal life protection is specifically what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about your safety as you drive across town this morning. We're not talking about your safety as you travel abroad this morning. We're not talking about a temporal present issue. We're talking about eternal life and salvation protection that we find in this door and his work. This is a theme for the saints in other places in our New Testament. I'll share a couple with you. And first of all, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, you can just listen to this passage. Let me give you just a window into the Hebrew church. The Hebrew church was a group of converted Jews, converted to Christianity, who lived in Rome. They lived in eyeshot of the Roman Forum. They could see the, the, the seat of power for an empire. And they're facing daily threats, first of all, as Jews in Rome, but secondly, on top of that, as Christian Jews in Rome. They, saw, or they experienced danger not only from Rome, but also from the synagogue and the local Jews. And consider this passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. It says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I have to be really honest. I've read that passage a number of times over the years and considered, well, man can do lots of stuff to me. <laughs> right? Man can do unspeakable things to other man. Man can do some terrible things to one another. So you, in this context, they're being raped and pillaged right here in Rome. Because they've converted to Christianity from Judaism. We're talking about real threats for real people in real experiences, real life stuff. And yet they're declaring, what can man do to me? Because they have a picture here of the the protection, the eternal protection that they have in and through the door. We're talking about eternal protection. We're talking about eternal salvation kind of protection. What can man do to me? Lots of stuff, but he can't touch salvation. He can't touch the fact that we are placed in the Father's hand, placed in the Son's hand, and no one, he said it twice, no one can snatch them out of my hand, no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's a dear truth, people of God. That's something we can enjoy 
together right off the bat. Another little window in the book of Romans into this kind of mindset about this security and this protection that we have in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 36, Paul writes to the church in Rome, okay? It's not good to be a Christian in Rome. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing else in all the world will be able to snatch us out of his hand. It's the same thought. It's the same theme. As here they are, being killed all the day long, like sheep being slaughtered. This protection that we're enjoying this morning that is connected, this in and out, coming in and out of the fold, under the watchful eye of the door, this good shepherd, we are speaking specifically in regards to eternal life. That is the protection that we're enjoying and celebrating this morning. Eternal protection, eternal security through the living human door. Okay, here's the second thing. Through Jesus, we find pasture. Okay, first of all, we find security as we come in and out, as we come and go in and out of the sheepfold. But we also find pasture. What does the passage say there in verse 9? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out, and he will find pasture. Man, that's a good concept. If we can think like sheep for a moment, we're thinking, man, that's all sheep want. That's what sheep really need is pasture. So not only do we move safely in and through Christ, we go in and out and find pasture. This sounds like a flock that lives in safety with full bellies. Man, eating and resting and grazing at will. What a beautiful beautiful picture. He guards our coming and going, and with him on guard, we find good pasture. In fact, he guides us to this. This is the next thought in John chapter 10, the very next verse right after where we stop today. It says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what we're talking about this morning in full bellies and green pastures. He's made some profound statements so far in the book of John. He's already said, whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. He will be hydrated for eternity. He said, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. He's been speaking of abundant life, this full promises and these full bellies that come, this green pasture that come through the door that is Christ. We find eternal protection and we find eternal nourishment. You can't help but think about Psalm 23 in light of the door. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Through Jesus, through this door, we find green pastures. 
The third thing we're going to consider this morning is where we're going to spend the most of our time. It's the third point that comes out of this verse, verse 9. It's the one that we haven't considered yet. In verse 9, if anyone enters through me that is the door, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. We're going to spend the rest of our time on salvation. John chapter 1, verse 51 is a passage you can look at if you want to kind of see another little window into where we're going here. This access into eternal life is what he's speaking about at this point. Access through the door that lands in eternal life and salvation. Here's a nice little window in John chapter 1, verse 51, that gives a little picture of access. I'll explain. Go ahead and put that ladder up. I'll explain that ladder here in a moment. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This ladder has nothing to do with what I'm talking about right now. It's just a visual, but it's probably the most famous ladder in the world. It's on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's been there for nearly 300 years. There's six different Uh, faiths that are all have control of the church of the holy sepulcher somebody put this ladder there and they don't know who put it there so nobody can touch it and they can't move it so it's been sitting there on the outside the facade of this church for nearly 300 years it's a famous ladder and it's one that you can use as a visual this morning it's a can stand out and considering that the lord here in chapter 1 verse 51 is identified as the ladder and the stairwell into holy spaces Chapter 1, verse 51 again. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's identified himself as the door, this access into eternal life. Here we couple that just a few pages over there in John chapter 1 with this stairway, this access, this ladder into heavenly spaces. And you can connect it also with a familiar passage in John chapter 14. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He's the door. He's the ladder. He's the way. He is the access into the presence of the Father, into holy spaces. You can look over here if you'd like, or you can just consider this little story. It's one that'll be familiar to you. It's from the book of Luke, chapter 23. I just enjoy it as a little visual of this, of someone who took advantage of the access that they have in this door and the ladder and the way. Luke, chapter 23, beginning in verse uh, 38, just for the sake of acquainting you with the context there was also an inscription over him this is the king of the jews we'll take our time with this point okay a nice visual this was also an inscription over him this is the king of the jews one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying are you not the christ save yourself and us But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence, or do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And he said to him, Jesus turned to him on the cross and said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. A beautiful little visual here of a man that turned to the ladder right there on his cross, his final hours and moments. He turned to the ladder and he found access into heavenly spaces. He turned to the way and found a path that he could move into eternal life. He found a door that he could turn to and walk through right there beside him so that he would be in paradise. I think this is a nice little visual because I think there are two people contrasted here. I thought about in preparation for this moment as I was not only preparing the sermon, but as I was sort of living out what that sermon would be like for you as you're sitting here this moment. We've talked about protection and we've talked about abundant, full life. And yet I know we have a room full of people that don't always feel that. Myself included. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about us. My counseling moments are populated with people saying my marriage is in shambles, but I love the Lord. I can't understand it. I can't hold down a job, and I'm not being provided for, but I love the Lord. I can't understand why this is happening. I have this broken relationship, and I can't understand. I love the Lord. Why is this going this way? I feel empty. I feel hopeless. I feel sad. I feel depressed, and I can't figure it out because I love the Lord. Why is this happening to me? And folks that are stuck on that, missing, on, missing out on the bigger picture. We have a contrast between two thieves right here on this cross. I don't know if you noticed this. The first thief rails at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The second thief, though, the one that passed through the door, just said, remember me in paradise. And we spend so much of our time focused on these, these micro problems, these crosses that we're nailed to, that are painful, that are killing us. And we're just railing at him saying, get me off of this problem, when what we need to be doing is turning to the door and going, I find everything in you. That problem is still there. That the second thief was still nailed to a cross. But in those moments of pain and struggle that we all feel versions of, he turned to the ladder and the way and the door and found a macro solution to a macro problem, eternal life and salvation. These micro problems are still problems. But man, they can steal our joy and steal our hope and steal our worship because we've missed out on what we've truly been saved from and found in the ladder, in the way, in the door. We've found eternal life. Do y'all realize how short this life is here? Just think on that for a moment. Do you realize how temporary this whole existence is? compared to the span of eternity? Man, it should shade, it should reframe those crosses that we're nailed to, that are still crosses. Man, it's a beautiful picture where this thief, this second thief, turns and just says, remember me. 
Man, that's what Lent's doing for me this year. It's taking my mind and my eyes and my struggles and my frustrations off micros and moving them to the macro solution that we have in the person and work of Christ. <gasps> Even the worst thing we'll experience here on this earth is but a wee twinkle of an eye. Now, I know that's hard to say, or it's hard to feel. It's easy to say. It's hard to feel when you're nailed to a cross, isn't it? But man, just think for a moment. That's what we're doing here. We're being a people of God that are gathering together to be stirred up by way of reminder so that we can reframe all things. So that God, through the exposition of the word, can reframe all things. So that we go back to those things with hearts of worship. With hearts that are seeing and playing the long game. And seeing what we have in the macro solution that is the door, the ladder, and the way, the person and work of Christ. Amen? Man, can y'all do that with me this morning? Can you just take those things and let's just call them micros. They can be big and they can hurt and they're really hard. But let's call them what they are compared to this. It's a micro. So we're going to spend the next few minutes just looking at four passages that are going to sort of expose a little bit of this third point that through this door we find salvation and eternal life. Okay, We're just going to spend a few minutes just considering that through this door we find all manner of things that are really beautiful. And this is really just a tiny sampling. I want to encourage you that if you want to have your own little home study or personal study, this might be a really good guide. Spend some time, and you can probably, there, I bet there are search engines um, on Bible apps or uh, Bible sites where you can search a, a couple of words, search for in him, through him, by him, to him, and of him. You will have the most unbelievable study, and I'm talking just the New Testament, okay? You have the most unbelievable study. Not every single one of those is connected to the personal work of Christ because some of those might be little transitory phrases, transitional phrases, but about 95% of them have to do with the work and person of Christ and all that we have in Him and through what He's done. Here's a little sampling. There are 19 references to through Him. We're going to look at some of those this morning. Through Him, through the door. There are 50 references to in Him. 50. 14 references to by him, 12 references to from him, and 43 references to to him. So do your own little survey and just go on a little journey. Okay, we're just going to do a survey of four passages this morning. It'll be pretty brief, each of them. I'm not going to preach four little micro sermons. But each of these passages, I think, sort of break open all that we have in salvation through the person and work of the door. Turn, if you would, first to Acts chapter 13. This is the first of those four passages. Acts chapter 13. This is Paul preaching in Antioch. He's preaching at a synagogue. Beginning in verse 38, I want you to pay attention to a few uh, sequences of words. Look for words that say uh, through him or, or in him or by him. Okay, we're thinking about this access that we have through the person of Christ into heavenly spaces, okay, into eternal life, through the, through the door, via the way, up the ladder. Okay, we're connecting to some access realities. Look for the phrase, through him 
are by him through these passages, okay? Beginning in Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through the door, let's connect where we are here in John chapter 10, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. We're going to talk about that in a little bit in a moment, but just let, just, just let that hit you for a minute. Through this door, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, there's another one, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Two real treasures that come out of this access that we have here in Christ is, first of all, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and achieved through him. See, we have this sin problem that keeps us out of the fold just like it resulted in Adam and Eve's eviction from the garden. And then we have this law problem that we'll talk about here in a moment. But first of all, through him we find that we have forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of this debt that keeps us out of Eden, that keeps us out of the fold. And then it says we find freedom by him, through him, from the law. The law is not a sinful thing, not at all. The law is a dreadful tutor, though. The law illuminates for us sin in our lives. It draws shape around, it draws a line around those things and shades them in where these things that you don't even know are there, you find through your examination and your time with that terrible tutor that you're crossways with your creator. The law does the terrible work of exposing the sin that keeps us out of the fold and keeps us out of the garden. And we find, though, through him, we have freedom from this sin and we have freedom from this terrible tutor. And ultimately, we don't have freedom to do whatever we want. We have freedom to actually obey now. We have freedom to actually do what we were made for, to fear God and keep his commandments. That's true freedom. In fact, that, these things, these first two things that we just gleaned from this one passage, forgiveness of sins and freedom, people of God, that's pasture. That's abundant life. When you're walking in your circumstances, even at times nailed to a cross, where you're enjoying all that you have in forgiveness of sins and freedom from the law, you actually have the ability to obey and you've been forgiven a debt that keeps you out of the fold. That would have kept you out of Eden. Okay, here's the next passage. I told you they would be very brief. Here's the next one in Colossians chapter 1. You can turn there. I'd like for you to turn there. I'd like for you to see these things. I want you to, and some of you might have digital stuff, so I know we might not hear pages. But if you have pages, turn to Colossians chapter 1. beginning in verse 19. Again, pay attention to the in hymns and the through hymns. For in him, that's speaking of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He fills in the blank for the I am statement. Right? He discloses and explains and reveals the person of God. 
For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, through this door, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, you Colossian Gentiles, pagans, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's a lot there. I'm just going to draw out a few things. First of all, the door to the fold is wet with the blood of the cross. Man, the lentils are slathered up with the blood of our Passover lamb. And through that, he made peace with God and man by the blood of his cross. That and that alone. That's the only way you'll find peace with your creator is through the blood of Christ. And also you, you fellow Gentiles, like the Colossian church here, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Man, the door accomplished something for us, an expensive trip. First of all, taking on flesh. Expensive in leaving the Father's right hand and taking on our frail flesh. An expensive trip then to a rugged cross and a third day journey out of a dark cold tomb into a dewy Sunday morning achieves something for the sheep. Peace with God. And it achieved reconciliation. Our debt was paid in full. And all of this was accomplished by the door. And through the door. And the beauty, there's an in order to here. He did that for a purpose. Anytime you see the words in order to, you can consider that's called a henna clause in Greek. And it means uh, specifically what it says, for the purpose of. He did all this for the purpose of a blameless presentation. It says that he's done this in, in, verse, in verse 22. He says he's done this in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's see if I can roust you out. Okay? I'm not going to have everybody stand, but I'm going to roust you out. I can see when y'all are struggling. Let me give you this visual. A woman's going to get married. You're at the wedding. You know that moment where the groom is down standing in front, pastor's standing, the officiant's standing right there beside him, and, you know, they're waiting for this beautiful bride to come out, and she comes out, and she looks like 100 miles of bad road. (laughs) She looks terrible. she got dirt on her face, mud on her face. I mean, she looks... Are not even dirty, just maybe make it look like she doesn't look like the, the pure bride that she's, you're expecting. You know, she le- dressed like, a, like she worked in a corner or something. That's who we are apart from the door. That 100 miles of bad road standing at the back of the worship center right there. That eyesore to that beautiful wedding. But in Christ, we are presented blameless and beautiful. 
Man, let that hit you for a moment. Because in reality, we know who we truly are, don't we? We know we're 100 miles of bad road standing at the back of the worship center, waiting to come down the aisle. But through Christ, that work, what he accomplished, that access is so profound, it cleans us up and it beautifies us and readies us for the groom that is Christ. Amen? Man, that's stirring, isn't it? That's good. Blameless presentation. So we find forgiveness through the door. We find freedom from the law through the door. We find blameless presentation through the door. And I'm going to take you to both these last two. I, I had a hesitant. I was uh, just for a moment there thinking, let me kind of cut this short because I can see it's a little, ch- little challenging this morning. But I'm not going to cut it short. I hope y'all just rally. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. These last two are just too sweet. I'm just not going to cut it short. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Again, look for the through hymns or by hymns. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him or through him from the wrath of God. Man, that's a fitting thought for us during Lent. We'll be saved by him and through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death or through the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Folks, we are freed from sin for those who walk through this door, who find that access that is the person of Christ. We are forgiven of our sins. We are freed from the law. We find blameless presentation. Look how beautiful she is. But we are also saved from the wrath of God. Man, wrath doesn't sell very good, does it? It's like, man, your God is wrathful. Yes, yes, he absolutely is. What's behind that? Is he mad? Is simmer down? What are you so mad about? His anger is a holy anger. And his holy anger and wrath is directed at sin. I mean, some of these stories that I used to jump over when I was reading in the Old Testament, if I was a teacher, I didn't want to, I want to read real fast through these little stories or skip them all together. The sin of Achan. Have you ever considered the sin of Achan? He takes a devoted thing. You know, when, the, when they fit the battle of Jericho? And they stone him because he broke God's commandments. The Sabbath breaker, he gets stoned. Korah's rebellion, he gets eaten by the earth. The consequences for the bronze serpent, or the, the consequences of the sin and grumbling of people was the bronze serpent with all these fiery serpents that are biting hundreds of I can't remember what the count is. A cajillion people are dying from serpents. The consequences of the golden calf, dead bodies everywhere. We can't skip those stories because if we skip those stories, we miss the wrath of God. If we miss the wrath of God, who needs a savior? What do we really need to be saved from? Because God's just a grandfatherly sort, drinking cocoa in an old man t-shirt. Come here, kiddies. 
crawl up in my lap. And God is wrath. And this door, he spared us of that wrath. And the way he spared us of that wrath, he absorbed it. He took every blow that we were due. He bore every consequence for every sin, past, present, and future. Man, God's holy wrath was directed at his very own son as he bore our sins. Don't turn your eyes from those wrathful stories because that's your due apart from the door. And it's gruesome. But what did he accomplish? Not only did he spare us of that wrath, he's taken us, that passage says, to a place where we can actually exult in God. You could add other passages in there and realize we can enter the throne room boldly like heirs, like children. Man, that work was effective. That work was potent. The door satisfies God's wrath in and through the cross. People, that's pasture. That's abundant life when you're walking in that reality in your problems. That'll reframe a lot, won't it? Man, here's what I'm doing. And here's what I'm walking in. (gasps) Can you believe it? It's awesome. Here's the last one. Ephesians chapter 2. Man, I'm glad y'all are sticking it out. Y'all rallied. I can see a little little rally here going on. That's good. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, going through 18. Let me just preface this one. This one is often left out of gospel treats and gospel treasures. But it's as much a treasure as being reconciled with God. Okay, you ready for this? Because this is going to have a lot of connection for y'all. Okay, here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us, and I'll tell you who us is, Jew and Gentile. A big part of our New Testament is about reconciling two unlikely people groups. You think the Hadfields and McCoys have problems. You think you've seen some bad marriages where a man and woman can't get along. Look back at the, the story for the Jew and, Gentile. You, Jew and Gentile. You can't imagine two different people groups any more different. They hated each other. Just imagine how you would feel if somebody considered you unclean. Like if they even touched you, they'd have to go like, stay home for a while. <laughs> unclean. I mean, we're talking about problems between two people groups. He himself is our peace who has made us, Jew and Gentile, both one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For here it is, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The door in his work, when you walk through that door, you find together that he has made us 
one people. He reconciled us vertically with the living God, but also he's offered and won for us reconciliation with each other. That's what church people have problems with. Stick around church long enough, you'll find out. Church people can fight like the best of them. And that's not walking in what was won for us right here. This is as much a part of the good news that we walk through, that we would discover and access through the door, the ladder, and the way, as it is this vertical reconciliation. That unlikely peoples, people who really truly hate each other, can not only stop hating each other, but can become family, a whole new humanity, a whole new people, one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, reconciled to God through the person of Christ. Don't leave that out of the gospel or you're going to be a mess and you're going to hop from church to church. One person after another bothers you. Man, people of God, this is part of the good news that we find through the person and work of Christ. We find access to this space, this community of people, this new humanity of Jew and Gentile, man and woman, every race, every tribe, every tongue that find everything in this person and work of Christ through this one enclosure filled by this one person on this one cross. He's won it for us. All we have to do is walk in it. We don't even have to earn it. It's already been earned. All we have to do is apply gospel grace, gospel blood, gospel margin, gospel forgiveness to even those people who bother you in the church. Especially those people who bother you in the church. That's when it's really getting good. People that stick it out and apply gospel grace and gospel mercy and gospel blood and gospel broken flesh to those strained relationships, that's when it's just getting good. (laughs) That's when you're connecting to the rest of the gospel that was won for us through, it says, through this Christ, through the cross, through that broken flesh. Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Man, that's just a survey. Golly, we could do it. In fact, in, in 2006, we did a series of sermons, like six or seven sermons on this. <laughs> it's hard for me to stop right here, but I will. Okay, so let me land the plane this morning. Jesus fills in the blank. He so beautifully shows us the character of our God. A God who aims to save unlikely, unworthy, undeserving people. Man, what a good God. Wrathful, yes, but graceful also. Man, he made a way for us. And it was an expensive way. A bloody way. He won this for us. He aims to save us eternally with forgiveness of sins, freedom from the law, blameless presentation. Look how beautiful she is. Satisfied wrath and a new humanity. That'll travel. This disclosure of Jesus as the door 
shows us that our God protects us. We might find that we're lion food in the Colosseum. Or we might find that we're a torch in Nero's garden. But what can man do to me, right? Never snatched out of his hand. Eternal protection. And it says he leads us in and out to find green pastures and abundant life. Man, that's good. It shouldn't take a whole lot of effort by this point to envision our Lord stretched out in that one enclosure, that single enclosure, the only way in or out. But instead of resting there, he died there, nailed to a cross. He bled there. He won these things for us. He won us in that. He secured us for eternity, and he earned us green pastures. Let's pray. Lord, what good medicine. What a beautiful window into your character through this declaration of Christ as the door. Lord, we marvel that we have access. What, what an unbelievable mercy. We won that we marvel that we are um, that we are not going to experience your wrath. That Christ absorbed and experienced every blow for us. Lord, we are thankful for all these treasures that we have from a new humanity that we're part of, this new identity with a frail, emotional, difficult, wonderful, beautiful people called the church. <laughs> Lord, you are so good to us. We are so blessed and we are so thankful. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.